welcome back. I'm Kimberly. She's Juliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. We're continuing our discussion with Chad Baraitha and in this part of the conversation we're looking at how you involve your customer in process improvement as well as whether when you're doing process improvement you're actually treating symptoms rather than the root problem. What about things from a customer's perspective? You know, when let, let's say, for example, in your experience, when you needed to use a cross-functional team because it went across from sales operation, customer to customer, say, right? Mm-hmm. How important is it to have a representative of the customer or supplier in a process that is across everything? Yeah, wonderful question. And I'd say the first thing is, Every problem doesn't have to go to like, I'd say like the big C, like the capital C customer, meaning whoever is purchasing your service or good. Generically, we use the term customers, who's ever next in line in my process, right? So on a micro scale, if I'm, if I'm at an assembly line or or if I'm in an office preparing, you know, documentation, whoever I'm handing my data or document off to next is, is a customer of my, my process. And then as you zoom out, it's been doing a, a project on uh, invoice processing, right? So one sense is downstream, the invoice processing is whoever I'm giving it to in the finance department. Then I could zoom out from that and it would be whoever the, the vendor is or the supplier is that I'm, I'm paying from uh, account payable. So depending upon where you zoom in and out, that's you can define the customer. Mm-hmm. But it is critical to your point to define who the customer is and, and what they expect if you don't mind, a, a brief anecdote on that is that yes, uh, I was working with an, an organization. Uh, one of the processes that they needed to perform was compiling all of this uh, load data, w- which was looking at consumption of the, the company's uh, particular output across customer segmentation. It was one person's full-time job, basically, to compile this on a quarterly basis. And it was, I'm not 100% in my recollection, but it was about 20 like worksheet tabs in an Excel notebook, like a right. massive, massive file that was uh, put forward. And as we engaged with the distribution list, right? So we said, well, who does this go to? We just started like sequentially going through and asking all the people, do you still consume this file? What do you need? And as we narrowed it down, it started off that only about 20% of the distribution list even opened the file. Okay. <laughs> That's win number one. We can stop sending it to everyone. Yes. From that, we identified like the five to 10 pieces of data that we actually needed within that. And we were able to reduce the processing time on that by 75%. So, I mean, this went from being someone's full-time job to now it's 25% of their job. Yeah. And then we can reinvest that resource and say, there's other things that skilled individual can do, Mm -hmm. but we don't realize that unless we talk to the customer or else what we would have done in that situation say great how do we produce produce this report faster that's a really good example actually talk us through on where people with process improvement and they're really passionate and they start trying to fix their own bit without looking at the whole process Mm. yeah i mean there is definitely a risk of creating sort of islands of excellence if you will right so you can you can visualize this easily by by thinking about say a manufacturing line or maybe like in a kitchen right like a, a kitchen line that's that's yeah. serving food i'm trying to use non-manufacturing examples because uh yeah. 
that sometimes everything's manufacturing for Six Sigma, but it applies everywhere. So if you're in a, in a line of whether it's manufacturing widgets or you're preparing food uh, for a, um, a service line, if you make your particular workstation faster than everyone else's, all that means is you're piling up work for the person downstream from you and you're waiting more for the person upstream from you. Yeah. And I've seen this in execution, again, down at kind of a, a micro scale, where an assembly line worker would get very efficient at their task, operate their task. And so they could finish faster than the upstream, so the, the supplier, right, the, the next step up, upstream. So they would start kicking parts. They would start subassembling ahead of time, which doesn't seem like a problem, but that's all built. That's supposed to be built into the cadence of uh, an even flow through the process. In that particular case, what happened is they had built all these subassemblies, and then we found we had a, a quality issue, a recall on one of the parts in the subassembly. So we built, I, I'll make up a number, 25 yeah. subassemblies. Then, then we had to spend labor time to take apart because they yeah. were working ahead of the pace. Now, zoom that example out to an entire organization. And if we produce products faster than we can transfer to manufacturing, if we market and sell product, products faster than we can fulfill through um, manufacturing or logistics, as you zoom out those kind of pieces of the, the orchestra that's um, moving our product or service through the line, you need to understand kind of the higher level picture. If I focus only on my little bit, whether it's my workstation, my team, my department, it doesn't necessarily translate to improvements for the company. I agree. And actually, it, it applies equally the way you describe it into, say, the banking industry where I practiced. And that was basically if you apply for a mortgage application or if you credit card, whatever. If you look at that whole process from customer request to customer receive, that can happen too because somebody is improving one piece and saying, I don't need this information. So that's causing another problem for this other team who have to go back to the customer and annoy them with asking the question again. So the interreliance of one part of the organization to another in, in those examples is important. So thanks for covering that. That is good. And that answers one of the, the next questions that we had, which was, can just parts of the system be used? So we've covered that. There's two ways to think about that question, right? Because you say, can, can part of your system, so as a company, can part of your system be improved, right? And, and we kind of address that. The other thing is, can I just use part of the system, right? So in, in my simple, simplified approach to business management, right, is we have strategy deployment, process improvement, and daily management. So if you say there's just three components, can I do just one of them? Yeah. I mean, you could. You could, but it is a system just like your business is a system. So if we use kind of a, a simplified analogy within that, a bicycle, mm -hmm. right? So if you have a bicycle, it's many parts that work together to perform one function, right? Mm -hmm. but, but I could say, I don't want, you know, the multiple gears on the cassette on the back of the mountain bike. I don't want multiple mm -hmm. gears. So I'm going to take that out of the system. Great. I don't want the disc brakes. I don't want the, the suspension. I'm not going to use those pieces of the system. I still have a bike. Yeah. It's not as versatile. It's not maybe not as fast. It's maybe not as capable as it could have been with the entire system. So you strip down the system, the effectiveness of whether we're talking about the business management system or to the previous point, your system as a company, 
as you start to strip out parts and say, I'm not going to work on that, you just sub-optimize the solution. Mm. With your experience right now, customers that come to your clients that invite you in to help them improve, what are they looking for as an outcome of your help? Mm -hmm. So I'll talk through a couple of specific examples without naming the companies. I'm on an engagement right now, and they're looking to expand capacity, right? So this is a great, a good problem to have, right, is that the demand for our products is higher than we can put out. But that is hard to, to do just by brute force, right, just by working harder in the same processes. So in, in this scenario, if you wanted to, and, and I'll make up uh, some of the numbers, uh, if I wanted to increase my capacity by 5x, so five yeah. times the capacity, like that's massive. And mm. we can't manage the day-to-day business yeah. the same way we would in the future if we want to be running at five times the pace. It's just a totally different animal. So we need a system that's more predictable to be able to, to manage that. So um, capacity increases uh, is a very common problem that we look at. Another one is uh, lead time. Mm. So that could be time to market. So I, I have done some work in R&D product development about you know time to market in some or, uh, industries like medical device, maybe years. So yeah. any improvement of 10%, 15% is huge in terms of competitive advantage of, of getting to market. But you could also have smaller scale time to market improvements, right? Uh, I'm sorry, lead time improvements, which could just be within the four walls of a production facility of just reducing the amount of work in process inventory so we can move product through faster to better satisfy our customers. So delivery in terms of lead time, we talked about capacity in terms of delivery, uh, we talked about. Uh, sometimes there, there is a cost uh, benefit that we're looking for. I'm, I'm not going to lie, we have had customers coming there, but that's, that's kind of a, an uninspiring end state, right? We just want to lower cost. <laughs> So sometimes there is a need. If there is a strategic need behind it to be competitive in the marketplace, we may be looking at cost. I'm trying to think if there's another one. We measure people or morale in terms of labor hours, right? So that's like how much labor does it take? In this case, there might not be a bottom line cost savings. There might not be a lead time reduction, but you're taking labor out of the system. So what that means is you can potentially scale the business without increasing headcount. If that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. kind of uh, bending your, your cost curve to where I can I can produce and scale the business without linearly also mm-hmm. increasing headcount, which is, is not sustainable from a cost perspective. So but that's in terms of uh, taking labor, you know, measured in, in labor hours out of the process. One that I haven't done work in particularly, but I could speak to a case study from the past is safety, right, of, of looking at are we reducing process risk? And that could be either physical risk to the the client, or I'm sorry, to the employee, Mm. or it could be regulatory risk. So removing risk out of the business. So those are kind of the categories, uh, risk, quality, delivery cost, or morale in people. And that last one is really key because sometimes people get really frustrated with working in a bad process. So by improving the process, you improve morale, which is what you mentioned. Yeah. Just on that as well, I don't know whether I read it in your background stuff or somewhere else, but it was about an improvement in uh, attendance, so in, so lost time because of, of people not being there. And it was in China, and it was based on the fact that the, the workforce is, is predominantly women in this industry, whatever it was, 
and that they, because of the government policies, if they got pregnant, they had to have time off to deal with that situation. And the company wasn't aware of how much time they were losing because of that outside influence. And just looking at the process in terms of the physical process wasn't going to give them the answer. And so they looked at looked a little bit further and looked at why the absenteeism was having, happening. Uh, but then they also looked at what they could do to change mm-hmm. that situation. So they actually changed the, the health care or the, the leave time arrangement and educated the workforce so that they didn't think that the solutions that they were taking were the only solution that was available to them. They didn't have the educational information that we might have in, in other countries about what options are before you get pregnant rather than the options after you are already in that situation. It just occurred to me then when you were talking that that's almost like a hidden problem. It's not really a process, it's, but it's part of the things that you, you need to be looking at. So how do you address those issues? I, I guess you can obviously identify that it's an issue, but how, how do you use the system to look for a solution in that case? Yeah. Ooh, well, <laughs> I'm going to have to look into that case study. That sounds uh, very interesting. But yeah, I'll, I'll see if I, I can I, find I, it. The challenge is coming up with a general statement or a general tool or method that's going to solve every time the, the challenge that, that you had. But, but it, it's if I speak kind of in more generalities to that of like, there's kind of the surface level problem with it, which is the symptoms and there's the root cause yep. of the particular problem. Yep. And it's, it's not uncommon that I see organizations and they don't go through a structured problem solving methodology, right? They have symptom and solution, right? And they just kind of jump right from yeah. this is the problem yeah. I saw. So absenteeism, change policy. Mm. Uh, we see quality error on the line, retrain them. And so, and that's one that really bristles my mm. neck, right? Of like retrain the workforce. So you're going to retrain them on the same poor training process on the same SOP and expect that to be a permanent solution. Like it's just nonsensical. Yeah. And so in that case, I, I go back to now I'm an advocate of the DMAIC methodology, but whatever you choose, if it's 8D or the eight step that Toyota made popular, there is this, this funneling down if we get to point of cause in the process and apparent cause and then drill down to root cause. And if we're not taking time to do that, we are slapping band-aids on these solutions. So there, there's not a, a silver bullet, you know, to, to your question about how do you do that? It is through methodical problem solving. And yep. you only get there over time with experience. So, I mean, this is a fascinating case study to, to look back and say, it's education of the workforce, not a change in policy that actually... Yes. Yeah, resulted yeah. in, in yeah. a benefit and it's education about their personal lives not about anything to do with yeah. work necessarily yeah, but, right? but you're seeing the effect yeah. of it at work let's pause there in our discussion with chad baritha join us for part three for now i'm kim bailey she's Fuliana osborne and this is inside exec <laughs> 